It's a different world as far as production design these days. You can have a practical set and combine it with digital effects to really give you bigger scope and size. And one series that is doing that very successfully is the highly acclaimed series Silo. And I spoke to the production designer, Gavin Bouquet, and he talks about that project. Plus, he also has a background working on the first two Star Wars prequel films, and that is The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And he's also known for his work on the Young Indiana Chronicles series. My conversation with Gavin Boucher here on Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast where science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Here's our conversation. One of the first challenges it got to be is designing the practical sets that have to kind of weave nicely with the the CGI effects. Talk about that. I guess there's a lot of coordination involved with something like that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. If you go back, um, you know, maybe 20 years, I remember when we were starting on shows, the visual effects team, when it when it was a, you know, a slightly more fantastical show, the visual effects team would come on you know, maybe a couple of months or three months after us, but gradually over the uh, you know the last few years, it's it's obviously become necessary and quite rightly so that they almost start at the same time as us. And Daniel Rochberger and his team, are not exactly sure. Probably we spoke to them within about three weeks of starting, because the the inevitable question is always, how much do we build? And how much do they build? And there's no sort of theory you could write down on on that. It's a it's something that all our experience, from their point of view and our point of view, sort of come together. And each scene, each little bit of storytelling, often requires a different answer. So there's never really one rule. Uh, I mean, very much in general, if you're shooting in a huge a huge environment with only very short scenes in it the chances are you're going to produce most of the backgrounds digitally. But if you're shooting a very long scene in an environment, you're going to want to give uh, as much physical set as you can, just because of the cost of compositing the visual effects side. And I think my experience, most visual effects departments I've worked with have um, uh, have always said, build as much as you can. <laughs> That's always their sort of rule. I mean, it's, it's not strictly true, but it, what, what's hard, what, what makes it a bit tricky is that it's it's easier for us as an art department and construction to quantify our costs. You know, it's paint, it's nails, it's wood, it's timber, it's metalwork, whereas the visual effects side is more sort of shock, shock count. And, of course, until they have the edit, they don't really know what the shock count is. So I think they have a slightly uh, more difficult time of trying to budget what they have to do because there's nothing to quantify it until they get later on in the schedule. So that's where a lot of the experience of, say, Daniel and his team and, and myself and our team, we just look at everything and hopefully we just come up with a, a sensible answer. <laughs> you know, that we probably couldn't theor the sort of theor put a theory down about it particularly, but uh, and in some senses it's not rocket science. You know, There's a point where you want to give as much physical background as you can, just because it, a directors and actors often like to work against something that's physically there, 
but then anything over a certain size is going to become impossible for us financially to build it and space-wise obviously i mean our you know our stages was 40 foot high but the silo is a mile deep so yeah. you know we're not going to we're not going to build a mile deep <laughs> set sci-fi talk returns in a moment well i tell you one of the most impressive sets has got to be the unit that functions and keeps the the silo uh you know working and that's like a multi-stage you know multi-level you know set and the actors have to you know climb ropes and everything talk about that it it, it kind of reminded me a little steampunkish just a little bit yeah no i think there was a certain element i mean our, our design sort of criteria after lots of discussions were very much into the sort of the soviet area area uh, era of apartments concrete technology the founders of the silo intentionally kept the technology very low in the silo for whatever story reasons in that way but the generator room which was down below which obviously had a huge story point in the first sort of three episodes oh yeah and we, and we basically had the same discussions about that how we knew we needed the center to work and we knew we needed a control a control room that looked down so the question then becomes what part of the slice of cake do you build and for you know for whatever reason we suggested we built models where we could take parts away and they could decide and i think we came up with i think it's 90 to just over 120 degrees we might have got to on that way again the rest of it blue screen we knew it was four times the height of any stage so there's no way we could be building the top end of that but i think we were we're always it's a double-edged sword we're always pleased when the camera can stay within the set because we feel we've achieved a sensible answer but you don't want it to stay within the set too you know all the time because you do want to see what else is going on around there and when we design these spaces you know we don't design just the little bit that we're building you've obviously got to design the whole environment and then yeah. extract the little bit you want to build it's not like well here's this little bit now everybody can go and design the rest of it you know i mean i'm sure that happens on some films sometimes that, that work ends up in the visual effects department and there isn't any bigger concept to work to but wherever we can we like to at least give the director and and the writers an idea of what that whole environment was um and of course digitally they can change every pixel of it in the, if they want to mm -hmm. but at least we feel at least we feel we've given them the concept of the whole room and they've approved that so you know sometimes i'm surprised when i see if you know the show it's not quite what we might have done earlier on but you know it it's a collaborative business you know it's yeah. like it's everybody putting their thing in and you know i can be just as surprised and pleased when they've changed something that we might have suggested you know you can't get you can't get too possessive like your work in star wars you designed a universe or an area that looks lived in you've mentioned the cracks and it, it, the quarters especially look like they had been used for god knows how many years and then Amanda Bernstein and the art department did the rest yeah, I mean yeah. with the mirror everything and then having the bed kind of go up you know the bedroom uh, a different yes, level yes. really nicely done I, and I it, it really added to the realism of uh of the movie of this yeah I think the chat that you know we knew that were, there were a number of apartments I think in the end 22 or something and we knew we couldn't we, we didn't have the stage space or the money to build everything from scratch so we often 
had three or four apartments converted, but not just converted in dressing. We would take a wall out or the bedroom bit would move and the kitchen bit would move. So although we, we were regurgitating them into other apartments, we were really pleased that we never had one apartment geographically the same. You know, there was always, it was modular, but there was which would be sensible in that sort of environment. But we managed to make those changes in the schedule. And I think for also for the big cafeteria set, we had the big circular set. We had two other sets that were built within that set. So the so the so initially the IT room, the first IT um, main bullpen area, that was built within the, the um, cafeteria set to start with. So we could use the floor and the ceiling twice. And then a bit like a Russian doll going inside out, we, we took that set away. And then the market stall, then the market area, you know, the market area where they They're find. Right. So that was built within the cafeteria as well. Wow. So, we had to, so we had to do all those rather. And that's quite a schedule issue as well, as you could imagine. Oh, Phil yeah. Harvey, my supervising art director, had daily conversations with the first AD in production about what sets could be moved and changed and, and brought together. So all those things get a bit lost sometimes, you know, in, in the, the complications of trying to make that thing work as a jigsaw puzzle, which is what we do. I'm not complaining. You know, that's that's part of it. But we knew we didn't have enough money or enough data space or enough time to build all those sets completely new. The one advantage we had, obviously, was that it was one style of architecture. So we knew that we had certain elements that would work and we just had to sort of adapt them to be apartments and offices. And with the texture, it was nice. I think you probably got the idea that the higher up they go in the upper levels, everything was in a slightly sort of better condition. Oh yeah. And then you got to the middle and then you got down to the, um, the basement area with all the graffiti and it was much, you know, water was down there damp. We did have some ideas earlier on that, because they were always sweeping the floors above and, and cleaning the floors, and they were pushing the water over gullies around the balcony, that by the time you got to floor four, floor 144, there would be a continual waterfall of just the water that had been swept off the other 143 levels. Wow. But it's, it's a nice idea, but it sort of got lost in the mix somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It is a great idea, though, and makes total sense. They'd all be fed up living down in the, the <laughs> lower because they just had this continual waterfall coming over of dirty water. But I think it came across, I think, I say we're too close to it, but I think you got the idea of, of those different levels and what it was like to live in the different levels of the silo. And then there's the other set below where um, essentially her her boyfriend lives and yes. and... Obviously, that is a combination of of CGI and practical. But obviously, his quarters, where you see them interacting, that is real. That's a real part of the set. Yeah, I think we we knew that the scale of that subterranean dark void, the vast majority of it was going to be a visual effects enhanced digital model or whatever. So I think in that case, we didn't use storyboards too much, I don't think. I think Morton... Maybe on, maybe on that did we just had to understand where the action was going to physically take place. And initially there were three platforms. There was a top platform, there was a middle platform, and then there was the secret place platform where the little hideaway is. Um, in fact, in the cut, the middle platform got cut out 
and oh. you can you, you can see that actually as they come down the stairs they sort of when they finish at the stairs they finish in the slightly odd well how did they get to there because they've missed out the middle but that's a storytelling point and nobody would realize that uh no so we built a little set a three wall section i mean not huge but not a tiny set which was basically that and any, anything looking out would be looking back towards the the core of the drilling machine mm-hmm. on that basis same but same principles you know in the sense for the whole of the silo how much do we build how much don't we build for the generator room how much do we build and you know in some senses it all seems quite logical it takes a few weeks of discussions to sort of get to that agree that agreement um but i don't but i don't think it would be it would be a very long book to explain those choices because i say every scene is different and they you know and every director is different you know they all have different wants and needs and preferences of of how they shoot something but we love but obviously the we all enjoyed the real texture we managed to get into the show all the concrete texture the cracks and everything so the more we felt we could get that behind the actors that was always going to be sort of valuable to do so um i think you know it's very hard to look at something you've worked on and watch the tent but I, i'm i'm very pleased in how much we saw of the overall scope of the silo and also that claustrophobic feel within those sort of dark moody places there is more sci-fi talk so stay tuned what really came into uh into practicality was when uh when rebecca ferguson is running up the steps and i was wondering how far did that go <laughs> exactly well i think right right I mean, when you start on a show like this you understand visually what you're trying to do but also there has to be a huge backstory in your head about the cost and the practicalities of how you're going to achieve what you're designing it doesn't necessarily compromise the design but it's something that you have to think about and i think talking to to morton tilden as our first you know main director and graham yost the um the showrunner and also hugh howie was who was involved at the beginning that we always had this rough idea that the every level would be about 30 feet apart and then within that level of 30 feet there would be two or three floors so when we when we sort of established that in our heads and i can't remember the exact timeline but we've there's a general feeling that morton felt that he needed two balcony levels in the stage which obviously with the staircase connecting at least one balcony to the next balcony so with that 30 foot difference and coming off the ground a little bit underneath for six or eight feet separating it from the the blue screen on the floor we sort of knew we needed a stage space that was going to be 40 foot plus and they didn't have a stage or studio when i joined the show they were sort of scouting for industrial sites as often happens these days um uh, and the production did find this sort of old freezer um unit up in the north of london which although it was full of freezer units at that point um we could see that it was you know 40 45 foot high obviously with no grid or no gantry or no film pluses in that sense um often as an art department all we need is a floor and walls that's you know <laughs> we'll just build on the floor but obviously other departments need a little bit more te- technology so we always knew that our two levels of floor plus a little bit above and it was a pitch ceiling on the, this warehouse as well that we knew there was a 
a bit of a compromise without a grid grid because looking up at any blue screen we were going to get quite tight but mark Patton, who was the the, the main dp um and daniel and visual effects they both understood that morton really wanted those two balcony levels so they did some jiggery pokery very compromised on how much space there was above the upper balcony so we basically ended up with two balcony levels and the staircase was joining one and then to the second one at the top um, and the next decision was then how much of the circle do you build and that becomes very much a you know a money thing and lots of discussions between apple and us and production and well if we build a little bit more that's less of visual effects work to do but i say you can never really quantify it at that point because we had no idea how many visual effects shots would be needed and what angles for four different directors were going to decide to shoot in but but yeah. we had a price we had a price per 30 degrees <laughs> that we you know loosely and there were lots of high level discussions with morton just what morton wanted in one sense to be able to shoot in two places from one side of a balcony right to the other side without seeing off and we came up in the end it evolved down to 270 degrees so we had 90 degrees of um a blue screen on wow. that side which was useful as well because obviously there are many different looks to the floor levels and we couldn't physically schedule wise be changing our our floor levels architecturally there just wasn't enough time so we had one sort of generic apartment looking um uh wall set where we could change certain doors and different sections and putting like the it doorway in uh, and digital effects visual effects would add the rest of the it and the judicial and on the other side we, if they wanted a completely different look into the blue then they could take that but it was like a lot of things it was made you know you make it up as you go along <laughs> <laughs> like your work in star wars you designed a universe or an area that looks lived in you've mentioned the cracks and it, it the quarters especially look like they had been used for god knows how many years and then amanda bernstein and the art department did the rest yeah, i mean yeah. with the mirror everything and then having the bed kind of go up you know the bedroom uh, different yes, level yes. really nicely done and i it, it really added to the realism of uh of the movie of this yeah i think the chat you know we knew that were, there were a number of apartments i think in the end 22 or something and we knew we couldn't we, a, we didn't have the stage space or the money to build everything from scratch so we often had three or four apartments converted but not just converted in dressing we would take a wall out or the bedroom bit would move and the kitchen bit would move so although we we were regurgitating them into other apartments we were really pleased that we never had one apartment geographically the same you know there was always it was modular but there was which would be sensible in that sort of environment but we managed to make those changes in the schedule and i think for also for the big cafeteria set we had the big circular set we had two other sets that were built within that set so the so the initially the it room the first it um main bullpen area that was built within the, the um cafeteria set to start with so we could use the floor and the ceiling twice and then a bit like a russian doll going inside out we we took that set away and then the market stall then the market area you know the market area where they there find are. 
so that was built within the cafeteria as well so we had to, so we had to do all those rather and that's quite a schedule issue as well as you could imagine oh, phil yeah. harvey my supervising art director had daily conversations with the first ad in production about what sets could be moved and changed and, and brought together so all those things get a bit lost sometimes you know in, in the, the complications of trying to make that thing work as a jigsaw puzzle which is what we do. I'm not complaining. You know, that's that's part of it. But we knew we didn't have enough money or enough data space or enough time to build all those sets completely new. The one advantage we had, obviously, was that it was one style of architecture. So we knew that we had certain elements that would work and we just had to sort of adapt them to be apartments and offices. And with the texture, it was nice. I think you probably got the idea that the higher up they go in the upper levels, everything was in a slightly sort of better condition. Oh, yeah. And then you got to the middle and then you got down to the um, the basement area with all the graffiti and it was much, you know, water was down there damp. We did have some ideas earlier on that because they were always sweeping the floors above and, and cleaning the floors and they were pushing the water over gullies around the balcony, that by the time you got to floor, floor, floor 144, there would be a continual waterfall of just the water that had been swept off the other 143 levels. Wow. But it's, it's a nice idea, but it sort of got lost in the mix somewhere. Yeah, but, yeah, I hear, I you, hear you. It is a great yeah. idea, though, and makes total that, sense. You know, in, that, in, in the characterization fed, you know, of, the, of everything. They'd all be fed up living down in the, <laughs> the lower level because they just had this continual waterfall coming over of dirty water. But I think it came across, I think. I say we're too close to it, but I think you got the idea of, of those different levels and what it was like to live in the different levels of the silo. When you're designing those, it seems to me, and all production designers use this method, it's designed in the the space of the character. So you know when you're there, only that character can live there and nobody else. Yeah, I think that's our job really is to, you know, to help move the story along and, and define the characters. And no project really gets noted purely for the way it looks. That's no that's no good. You know, I mean, it's like you've got to empathize with what you're seeing in the characters. So you're always trying to the one place it's nice to have living apartments where people do live because Amanda and the set decorating team and us really that's where you can really explain the characters because it's their personal living space. Less so in offices, but even in offices, certainly in um, uh, the IT main offices and the mayor's office and the judges, they become personal spaces because they're important offices. So the, the decorating and the dressing in there really helps. I mean, Amanda and her team and Johnny, the, Norman, the prop master, did a great job because they couldn't really, have, we knew we couldn't like with the sets, we, they couldn't afford to, to hire all all the dressing because we were too long a period. It was, it would have been like a 10 month hire and we couldn't afford to make it all. So they were forever going to antique markets and on eBay and basically buying loads of stuff that they could recycle. And, it, you know, ironically, that's what the silo also did. You know, they also recycled all their furniture is down in the dump or put out and moved. So it was a nice connection that, the way Amanda and her team had to go about that was to do a similar thing and 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 get hold of as much different stuff as possible. And there's a very, as you can see, there's a very eclectic, she did a great job on her team putting those things together and sort of nondescript, but sort of 
bit no you know we know because we know the novels a little bit you know the silo was built 50 years from now and it's about 300 years old from that point so we we were using influences from the 40s the 50s the 60s in the technology and the and the furnishings as well but i think it in that rather strange mix it gave it quite a good character as well it sort of determined its own character and but it, and it's hard for Amanda because when you've got apartments which have similar feels of ki- kitchen units and bedrooms and and modular, you know, for her to come in and give them quite a big character statement for the for the characters that lived in there was really impressive. Well, lastly, before we go, I, I do have to credit you for young Indiana Jones, especially since we've seen Harrison's last movie. Uh, and what an ambitious series. I mean, I've never seen anything that so much time and effort was put into a TV series. And not only that, taught history to people through Indiana Jones. It was just an amazing series. And congr- I know you won an Emmy for that. So congratulations on that. That's an amazing series. No, and it's, it's sadly, it's, they're, they're showing it on Disney Plus at the moment, but not in not in Europe. We have Oh, that's a shame. Because I wanted to go back and have a have a look at them. And I, I and I was saying um, that I've got an Instagram page at the moment that I'm putting up a lot of uh, nuts and bolts things from Silo, just like behind the scenes images. But I've also put a couple of things of Young Indy on there. Oh, nice! Which, which people are really really interested in. And because when we started that, I mean, I was just a you know little one of my first design jobs, and George really wanted to bring the element of film drama into the TV world. Uh, which hadn't really been done before. And he wanted to use that, the technologies that you saw at the time in the early 90s in com- TV commercials of replication and big wide shots and bring that sort of digital technology into the TV drama world, which hadn't been done before. And in a funny sort of ways, when you look at TV and streaming now, he was quite ahead of his time <laughs> in, in doing that. And uh, ironically, Rick McCallum came on board with that, who ended up being one of the producers of the uh, main producer of Star Wars as well. When we went on to that, uh, they didn't they didn't actually use ILM for the digital work on Young Indy. They they used a commercial um, facility house in San Francisco, who were used to doing that sort of digital technology. So that was quite an interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So even George isn't using. ILM, because George was really trying to strip down the process and get the cost of these four or five shots in every episode of Young Indy to be financially possible on a budget. I think I always was told that they were trying to get the budget to be equivalent to an episode of MacGyver. Wow. And MacGyver was a very sort of traditional contemporary, and we were traveling the world doing period things so i think they did a really good deal with the um uh, the facility house in san francisco and they got four or five really nice uh shots and george was interesting he even if we the, the shots only worked 95 percent or 100 he was fine with that it was he always told us that that he always made a show on the basis that people would just watch it once they didn't. They wouldn't go back and analyze everything. He said, if people did that, like these days, you know, then go back and look at every pixel of every everything on the screen. But in those days, he he always he always if it works for the first time you see it, that's that's it. Um, so it was it was quite funny. We were trying when we moved to um, Australia to do um, Attack of the Clones. George, he 
the press were trying to find him, you know, just, and he's very secretive, George. He doesn't, you know, he's not somebody to be out in the, the fancy restaurants or the whatevers. Um, and the only time I think the press found him was he was in the equivalent of Kmart or or something buying buying a box set Hindi because he wanted he wanted Jet his son at, at that, who was the age to see the series and in Australia it was the wrong format he didn't have the format Ooh. so they got him buying it buying a box set of of young and I know George is very proud of young Indy. oh yeah. You know, just it's, it, 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 you know, it wasn't. The, it was almost ahead of its time, and everybody expected a full action movie each time, and it didn't really live up to that. But uh, but for me, it was a you could imagine a brilliant education of being a designer. You know, traveling the world, little episodes, you know, different directors, all sorts of directors. Imagine. Um, so I really sort of I'm grateful to George for for trusting us to to do that, and I'm really desperate for to come out on Disney Plus in the in Europe, because I'd love to go back and have a look at it again. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, again, congratulations on this series and the amazing body of work that you have. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. That's great. And ho hopefully I haven't finished yet. <laughs> no, I think you've still got a few more. <laughs> more than a few more. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to talk to you. Always here if you need to chat. It's great. Okay, great. Silo, the first 10 episodes are available. They have been renewed for season two. You can catch it on Apple TV+. Plus. Of course, with the uh, strike that's going on right now, things will be delayed slightly. A strike I do support, by the way, because those people should be paid what they're worth. But catch Silo on Apple TV+, Plus and watch the first 10 episodes. It is so worth it. As I said during the course of the interview, it is the best new series on television as far as science fiction is concerned. Until next time, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.